From my kitchen table somewhere in the Delaware Valley, this is the podcast we like to call The Pod Couple. I'm Phil John Ficaro, columnist for The Intelligencer, The Courier Times, and The Burlington County Times. My co-host J.D. Mullane has the day off today, but I won't be flying solo. I'm pleased to have as a special guest today, Camille Schreier, a native of Newtown Bucks County, but over the past year or so, we're commonly known as Miss America. Camille, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Phil. I'm grateful to be here with you. Yeah. Um, well, in December 2019, Camille impressed the competition judges with a science experiment on stage, otherwise known as the catalytic decomposition of hydrogen peroxide. There was foam going everywhere. It was very visual and impressed the judges. Uh, Camille's an advocate for empowering women and combating the opioid crisis in America. She does virtual appearances with organizations and schools throughout the country. She's earned her undergraduate, undergraduate degrees in biochemistry and systems biology from Virginia Tech and is working toward a doctor of pharmacy degree at Virginia Commonwealth University. Aside from all that, she doesn't have much going on. Camille, <laughs> again, thanks for joining us. How is everything? Uh, things are busy. Uh, it's been interesting because even despite having a pandemic happening, I've still been able to do a lot of the advocacy work and a lot of the um, STEM education that I always wanted to do throughout this process, and I've just been able to do it virtually. So things have actually been really busy, and so I'm really grateful for that. Um, trying to, you know, fill a need that's there, especially with kids at home right now. Lots of STEM stuff happening, and so uh, it's been a really good experience. You know, Camille, before we delve into your platform as Miss America and how that can help change the lives of women for the better, um, how has becoming Miss America changed yours? That's hard because one of the things that I really promised myself going into this experience is that I wouldn't let it change me because that was something that was really important to me. I don't, I didn't want to get too wrapped up in the the fact that I won this title and now had all these opportunities. I wanted to stay grounded in who I was, but it does change your life because it does give you these opportunities that you would have never had. And I mean, instantly I became kind of a public figure with a social media platform that I had a voice to be able to advocate for issues that were important to me. And the interesting part about being Miss America is that doesn't necessarily go away the day that you stop being Miss America. It's something that continues throughout the rest of your life. Um, and if I look back to all the other forever Miss Americas that have continue to work on whatever issue was important to them. It just gives you a lifelong platform to be able to make a difference and have people listen to you in a different way. Um, so it's it's a, a great power, but it comes with great responsibility. So it's something that I hope to use uh, in a really positive way moving forward in my life. You know, the typical Miss America reign crisscrossing the country, making appearances and speaking engagements was cut short last year for you about four months in or three months in, I guess, um, when the pandemic really hit. So you've been doing a lot of virtual. Um, and you've told me that's been rather enjoyable. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, the virtual piece was very new to me. I don't think I'd really ever used Zoom until like March of 2020. And March 13th was my last day out on the road. And I remember that day I landed from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I looked and the rest of my schedule for that week got wiped. It was going to be the two weeks at home. And then it just really, it spread into the rest of the year. And I had to quickly pivot and figure out how I could continue doing the job of Miss America from my home. And 
the virtual stuff has actually been enjoyable because it allows me to be in quite literally more places than I would be able to be in person. So if I'm, you know, zooming with a class from Arizona and then the next minute I'm on with a group from New York and I can continue to do those things, be in those classrooms, you know, have podcasts with people across the country talking about the opioid epidemic. There's so many things I can do nationwide from my own home. And I'm also someone with a genetic disorder. So I struggle with chronic pain, chronic fatigue, and just generally feeling well. And so it actually kind of went along with what my body probably preferred, which was being able to have a regular schedule, not having, you know, the the taxing travel. And so I, I always see it as a blessing in disguise. I've, I've tried to find the really positive pieces in the last year, because there has been so much turmoil in our country with the pandemic, with other things that are going on politically, that if we look for those little moments that we're grateful for and those little hidden blessings, it can make us uh, really have a different perspective on 2020. You know, you had mentioned your the, the disorder that you, uh, and you share it with your mom. I do. Uh, Cheryl, um, it's uh, a Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, sure um, and you know it, it's a fatigue-causing, pain-causing syndrome. There's no cure, um, and I think in our prior conversations, you have told me that um, you know rest and drinking lots of water <laughs> seems to work for you. And yeah. and given your abbreviated schedule because of the pandemic, it, it's allowed you to to be able to take care of yourself more. Yeah, and it is funny. There really isn't much that you can do for it. Uh, exercise is another great one. Pretty much anything that you should do to make yourself you know, have a healthy lifestyle, those are the things that are important to be able to maintain a healthy life with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And so the biggest problem that I have, and my mom and I have very different experiences with Ehlers-Danlos. My mom is more prone to injury and chronic pain. And I struggle more with the fatigue, brain fog, kind of, you know, keeping up kind of problems. And it's interesting because that's why it's a syndrome. It affects all of us very differently. Um, and so for me, just being able to get a regular amount of sleep has been really important to me. I can get burned out really quickly. Uh, and when I start to get burned out, it just doesn't go well and I can't do my best work. And that's the most important thing that I've learned is that I need to give myself a certain amount of rest, energy, food, water to be able to do my best work with this disorder. Uh, and that's the way that I cope with it. And so, yeah, it's been kind of nice to to not have to be on planes and, you know, getting up really early and hotels and all those crazy things that normal Miss America is doing. And it was fun to be able to do that for three months, but I don't know if that necessarily would have been the most sustainable situation for me. And so again, I think it was a hidden blessing for me. Yeah. You know, you come from a quote unquote pageant family. I, I guess I could describe it kind of, I mean, your mom was in pageants, you were in pageants growing up and you weren't interested in competing in Miss America until they eliminated the swimsuit competition. Explain. Yes. Well, the funny thing is, so my mom competed after I competed. So that's. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Yeah. So she was always my mentor. I had competed as a teenager and I really didn't do that many as a teen, just a few. And she had helped me. And my mom went through a cancer journey and a weight loss journey and really went back to, you know, the woman that she always wanted to to continue to be. And so I was like, you should compete, mom, right? And so she did and she won. And so I ended up kind of being her helper, the zipper in the back. Um, and so it was funny. So she didn't always grow up doing them. She did them after I did. So that was a really cool experience for my mom and I. But so to go back to your original question, I never really thought I could ever do Miss America. And there's lots of different organizations um, that, you know, have crowns and sashes and there's many of them. Um, and it's more than just Miss America and Miss USA, which is what most people think of. And I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do next? I'm not really interested in like doing another competition because I feel like I've gotten out of it what I wanted to. But Miss America is quite literally the original competition here in the United States. It's 100 years old this year. And it's what we always really think of when we see a girl with a crown on. And throughout my whole experience competing, anytime I had a crown on my head, people would be like, oh, are you Miss America? Because that's what people associate. That's the brand recognition. And that's always kind of like the Super Bowl for girls that do this. And for me... I was weary of competing because I had gone through some body image issues in my life. I didn't think that it was going to be healthy for me to put myself in a swimsuit on stage. Disclaimer, I wear a swimsuit at the beach. I just didn't really want to wear one on national television <laughs> and quite literally be judged uh, on, on that. <laughs> that was a little uncomfortable for me. And so when that went away, I was like, this is really encouraging. I think that this is a good move for just women in general. We get judged on our bodies all the time. And so to quite literally take that away was something that I really could get on board with. But there was that talent competition, right? That I was not a kid that grew up singing and dancing. And so I was like, what am I going to do for this talent? And uh, eventually I just got to the point where, you know, I saw an ad on Facebook in, you know, March of 2019 for a competition that was two weeks away. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to sign up for this. I'm going to figure out something to do for the talent. Um, and I got my chemicals from Amazon. I was like, I'm going to do a chemistry demonstration. And uh, it really all went from there. But I was not interested in the physical aspect of it. And, you know, totally no judgment on women that have competed in, you know, the older Miss America type or want to be judged on their physical characteristics. I think that, you know, every woman has a right to be able to put herself in a situation that she's comfortable with. That just wasn't something that I was interested in. And so, hey, I'm glad that I came at the time that I did. And I think that that's part of the reason why I ended up with this job long term was because I really genuinely and authentically aligned with where that brand was going. You know, being Miss America has given you that platform to push your initiatives. And among the many you have is shedding light on the opioid crisis in America. Yeah. Um, some, some statistics. A hundred Americans die from overdosing on opioids every day. Mm -hmm. um, since 1999, the death count is approaching 800,000. Um, the economic burden on misuse of opioids is almost $80 billion in the United States, mm -hmm. um, including health care, addiction treatment. I mean, you know, you know all the, 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 the things that uh, that addiction uh, 
to opioids uh, uh, creates. What's your message when you're talking about this? Well, the really scary part that I'm going to mention first is you said 100 people every day lose their life to opioids. With coronavirus, it's almost 220 right now. Mm. That's terrifying. That's mm. almost a fifth of the number of people that are losing their life to COVID every day in our country. So that's part of what makes me passionate about this because, you know, I can't right now work on a vaccine for COVID. I can't, you know, stop the spread of this pandemic. But what I can do is help to eliminate that 200, not that number of 200 people that lose their life every day from an opioid. Um, the biggest thing that I want people to understand about this and what I've realized is a continued problem as I do this work is that this is not a moral failing of a person if they find themselves battling substance use disorder. It's something that really does not discriminate education level, race, sex, economic background. It's something that can literally happen to anyone. And whether or not it can come from you know, a doctor's prescription, your prescribed pain medication after a procedure, or if that person decides to try something that might be an illicit substance, that one choice can completely reshape the future of their life. And I know I've made tons of mistakes in my life, right? We all have. But the mistakes that I have made, I'm not judged on the same way that people who face this problem every single day are judged with. People who face substance use disorder struggle to get jobs after they do find recovery. They, you know, their entire livelihood is is just changed because of this one experience that they've had in their life. And so it's something that um, if I could tell people to have empathy for people who go through this, that's the biggest message that I can have. And it's probably the biggest way that we're going to be able to make a, a really lasting change on this. You know, another of your initiatives is drawing attention to help close the gender gap as it relates to STEM, mm -hmm. science, technology, engineering, math, the disciplines. I read one study where when children were asked to draw a mathematician or scientist, girls were twice as likely to draw men as they were women. Mm -hmm. uh, while the boys universally drew, drew men, often in a lab coat and a pocket protector. Um, what's your message relative to going about changing that perception? I think the biggest thing that we can do is to show female role models in STEM. And not just for the young girls, but for the young boys. And that's something that I'm really passionate about because oftentimes I'll go into schools to do science presentations and I'll be asked if I want to be just with the girls. And I'm like, no, the whole point is that the, the boys need to see a female role model in STEM as well, because that's how we're going to achieve a really wonderful workplace for these students in the future, where it's just completely normal to have a girl in a science role just as much as having a boy. And then maybe when they draw those pictures that those little boys will think of, you know, the science princess that came in and did some STEM with them. Um, and so I come in oftentimes, you know, maybe with my crown on uh, when I'm serving as Miss America or, you know, just as kind of the, the, the silly science princess who comes in with glitter and pink, but also does actual real science and teaches about that. That's something that's just important to, for me to normalize with students. Um, and again, it's not just for the little girls, it's for the little boys too, to be able to see that um, a very feminine woman with glitter and pink and all of those things can be a scientist. And there's this very, you know, weird perception 
in STEM that is getting better, but is still there in some sense. We've gotten to equality, you know, having a lot of women in STEM roles, but it's expected that those women are inherently feminine women. And so if you're a woman in STEM and you come in and you're interested in makeup or maybe fashion or one of those things, you're kind of looked at like, what are you doing? Um, and so again, there's no reason that that should be a thing. I always, and this kind of goes back to my experience at Miss America. I want to be judged on what I can offer with my skills and my talents and my experience. I don't want to be judged on what I'm wearing. I don't want to be judged on what I look like. I want to be judged on what my talents are. And I think that that reigns true for women in STEM competing at Miss America. I think that that's the best way that we can achieve, you know, equality for women in STEM and really in so many different places of our society, if we just kind of take down that external judgment and look at people for what they can offer. What kind of reaction do you get from women, men, mothers of young girls when you're making this kind of, I don't want to say it's a pitch, but you know, why women should be involved in STEM a lot more? I see a lot of parents who are grateful to have someone to talk to their students about this because, you know, we live in a world right now where if you've ever been on TikTok, I have to tell you, and that's what the little kids are on oftentimes, there's not a lot of really like, like, how do I put this in a way that's kind? Um, age appropriate, um, academic focused role models for kids. And that's something that I, I'm really focused on being for those students because there's plenty of girls who can, you know, do the whole like TikTok dances for the little ones who are interested. But I want to be that person for students who they see as someone who's cool, but also focused on academics and that they can be like, well, maybe I want to be like that girl. Like she's cool and she likes science and she's going to get a graduate degree. And so maybe that's something that I want to do. Um, and I think that that's something that's lacking for young ones right now. And so a lot of parents are really excited to have me be able to interact with their students. Um, and that's something that I'm really grateful to be able to do. Um, I didn't have a lot of good female role models in any STEM careers growing up. I had some good teachers that were females that really encouraged me to go toward the STEM fields. My mom was a nurse and I have an aunt that is a chemist, but I didn't have like one specific person where I could say like, okay, I want to be like this person. And for me, I think that it's one of the best ways that we can encourage, especially young girls to go into STEM, because if they can, I always say, if they can see it, they can be it. Um, and if, if so, if they can relate, you know, my journey to theirs, maybe that can help them. So. You talk a bit about the foundation that you had growing up in, in Newtown, in Bucks County, you know, the, and, and how that's prepared you for such a high profile um, position. Um, I think that, you know, my journey in, in growing up in Newtown was a great one for me. I don't know if anything really ever prepared me for, for being in a position like this. Um, but I think that the biggest thing that really prepared me, honestly, was just the family that I have, honestly. Um, growing up in Bucks County gave me proximity to urban areas and rural areas and a lot of, you know, 
diverse education as a student, but I was never really fully prepared to do a job like this until I kind of got into it and had the support of my family and my community. And I think it's also interesting because I was Miss Virginia. And so if you think of even having the support of, you know, Bucks County, Newtown area, as someone who was representing a different state, that was kind of a testament to how caring our community is. And they were able to cheer for Miss Pennsylvania, but also for me as Miss Virginia. Um, but I've never been fully prepared to do a job like this, to be honest. And I think that that's, um, it's always a learning experience for every Miss America who gets kind of thrust into this position. Um, because you kind of, you win on national television and you start a hundred miles an hour after that moment and it doesn't stop. So it's hard to be prepared for it, but you just kind of have to be flexible and go with it. Are you up for a Miss America quiz? Sure. Absolutely. I hope I, I hope yeah. I do well on it. Cause if not, then I'm kind of, it's going to be kind of embarrassing. That's all right. Um, you're the sixth Pennsylvanian to win Miss America. Yes. Can you name two others? Evelyn A. Very good. She was in the 40s, I think. You don't have to show off now. Okay. I don't know another one. Two, two, two of the other four are from Philadelphia. Oh, I don't know another one. This Ruth, is Ruth Malcolmson, who was the first. Okay. And Frances Burke. Okay. Both from Philadelphia. So you're, I mean, if you want to say Newtown's Philly, it's three from Philadelphia. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good one. And I think the interesting part is that for many years, you didn't go as Miss Pennsylvania. You went as Miss Philadelphia to Miss America. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Because it, in the old days, there was like a Miss DC and a Miss Chicago, and then it became the States. But, uh, Interesting. Okay, I should yeah. know that. But I did. I do know the other one because that woman, Evelyn A. She does. She did a a monologue with a, her hand as a spider, and so I know her as yeah. one of the other non traditional performing talents. Um, just some fun facts. Yeah. <laughs> because of the pandemic, the December twenty twenty competition was canceled, which gives you an extra year as Miss America. Mm -hmm. So name the only person to win Miss America twice. This before the rules were changed. Oh, I know what it is. Yeah, I know you know. It was in Think the soup. It was in the 30s. Think canned soup. Campbell. There you go. Mary Campbell. Okay, good. See, you helped me out on that one. Well, yeah, I had to. Um, and she actually won twice. Yes, I said she won twice. Yes, that's the yeah. difference. It's not yeah. even just like and it then was they change and then they change the rules. I don't think I would win twice. So Miss America 1955, the first to be crowned on TV. Looks like Lee you know Mary this Weather. answer. You look you look like you know this answer even before I finish the question. Because it's Lee Merriweather. <laughs> it's Lee Merriweather, of course. And I met her and she's so cool. I love her. Yeah, I was gonna say it's you know, portrayed Catwoman on the Batman TV series on Barnaby Jones. She's so cool. I was in Los Angeles earlier this year and her daughter reached out to me because she's actually in an assisted living facility now. Okay. Um, and her daughter was like, we'd love to get you together with our mom. And I was like, I would love to meet your mom. And so sure. we had dinner in Los Angeles and it was amazing. Uh, and so it's, it's also cool because she has the exact same crown that I do. And she was the first year to have 
the Miss America style crown that continues to this day. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, last one. Who was the first contestant to perform a scientific demonstration and win? Win Miss America or win her state? Win Miss America. Well, that's me. That would be you. Because I'm not the first to ever perform a science demonstration at Miss America. No, but to win. Okay. Yeah. So yes, that was me. I'm glad I'm a. I'm glad I'm a question now. And I said I, I should be talking. <laughs> well, listen, Camille, it's been a pleasure talking to you and catching up with somebody from who represents Bucks County and her family so well. Thank you. Um, so kind. Well, that's all the time we have for today, Camille. Again, thanks for sharing your views and your time, and best of luck in whatever you whatever you're going to do next. So you can catch our podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. And you can check out our new episodes weekly on our websites. You can also read all our informative and award-winning content at theintel.com. That's Intel with two L's. CourierTimes.com and BurlingtonCountyTimes.com. Better yet, consider subscribing to support local journalism. The cost for new subscribers is just $1. $1 for the first six months. You can't beat that. For all of us here, I'm Phil Jan Thanks for watching, and especially thanks for reading.